0: You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Or even if you just forget, you know, I heard recently that people forget about 80% of what you say in the pulpit, which is super discouraging for me as a preacher. I hope that's not true. <laughs> Uh, but just in case it is and you forget what we talked about, let me catch you up a little bit on the scene, on the context of what's happening in and around the text that we're gonna be reading together today. Matthew chapter five, it opens with, with Jesus going up onto a mountainside. Cam and I had an opportunity to go to Israel not too long ago, uh, back in the fall. And, and we, had, we went to, the, to a mountain in the region where this would have taken place. They don't know exactly which mountain Jesus would have taught this on. But we had the opportunity to go onto a mountaintop and I got to read the Sermon on the Mount, same way that this camp started this series, from start to finish, in the spot where they believed Jesus would have taught it. It was such an emotional experience, such a cool experience for us as we imagined what it would have been like for those original hearers when they heard those words. The text tells us as Jesus went onto the mount that crowds of people gathered around him, people from all different walks of life were probably there, some who believed, there were some who were already all in. They were devout disciples. There was probably also some skeptics that were there. I imagine there was also family members who'd been dragged along to hear this young, provocative rabbi. Thousands of them gathered that day, though, to hear uh, Jesus preach. And little did they know, as they gathered on that dusty hill in, in the Israeli desert, that, that, that what they were about to hear would have a greater effect on human history than any other speech or sermon or document that had ever been written or said or spoken in the past, present or future. You know, and Jesus Jesus, what, what he said in those moments is that heaven is breaking in to the here and now. This, this collision that's happening between heaven and Earth. And this is what it looks like, he would say, when my gospel, when the kingdom of God, when the new world order, when the culture of heaven gets into a human being, like you or like me. And not only has this impacted Christian culture, but we see all sorts of implications from the Sermon on the Mount, even on the Western world, even on the world around us, even the idea of social justice. It all comes from the Sermon on the Mount. So so Jesus is introducing this, this kingdom, this this he's flipping the ideologies of the day on their head, and it all starts with who he calls blessed. So let's look at it together. Matthew chapter five, starting in verse one. If you have a Bible in front of you, you can read along or it'll be on the screen. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came in and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, we're only 12, verses, 12 words into the sermon at this point and I imagine that already. The crowd is probably gasping. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. What did he, what did he just say? Who's blessed? See, it was common thought among the the Jewish people in the day that the one who was blessed was the one who had everything that they needed, was the one who was rich and healthy and powerful, who had a big family, who had lots of property. These were the ones who were blessed. They were the ones that were experiencing the favor of God, right? Like, it, it just made sense that these people were the ones who were righteous, the ones that were blessed. And I actually don't think that that understanding of of blessing is that far off from what most of us gravitate towards or think about in in, in today's day and age when we think about blessed. Especially on this side of televangelists and the so-called prosperity gospel. Many Christians have subtly bought into this idea that God's blessing and favor is evidenced in, in how comfortable we are or how well our business is doing, or how our bank account is, or how prosperous we are, as though, as though blessing from God is almost synonymous with like the American dream, or the Canadian dream, if that's the thing. <laughs> and so, so Jesus' opening statement that the poor in spirit are the ones that are blessed, it would have been a jaw-dropping statement for the original hearers, right off the top. Blessed are the poor, the poor in spirit. Like, What? No, 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 no. What they had always been taught is that the powerful were the ones to be blessed. They were, they were the ones that were blessed by God. This word blessed that Jesus uses here in, in the Sermon on the Mount is translated in a few different ways throughout history. Some translations, Cam talked about this last week, some translations uh, translated it as happy, happy are the poor in spirit. Or others, scholar, another one said, congratulations to the one who's poor in spirit or who mourns. Um, I think we also pointed last week to the fact that one one Bible translator said, "You lucky bums!" If this is true of you, I like that one. Uh, but my favorite is actually in sync, in sync with the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying that when you embody these characteristics that He's about to lay out, that He's been laying out, you are so in alignment with the kingdom of God. You're blessed. You're in sync with God. Let's keep reading. So blessed, or in sync, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And then the verse that we're gonna be unpacking together today, the third beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What, um, What comes to mind when you think of the word meek? What kind of person do you think of? What naturally comes into your head because I feel like there's a lot of negative connotations that, that are associated with the English word meek. I don't know about you, but when I think about meekness, I, I, think it's almost, I almost think synonymously with like spineless or, or, or like a lack of courage is associated with someone who, who doesn't seem to have much of a deep conviction about anything, a pushover, or at the very least someone who who's just kind of goes with the flow and doesn't want to rock the boat too much, kind of complacency. But the quality that Jesus is talking about here when he says blessed are they, it actually has nothing to do with any of those images at all. One, one Bible teacher pointed out that, that the beatitude is not blessed are the doormats, it's not blessed are the wimps for they shall inherit the earth. The vision that Jesus is laying out in this third beatitude, it's so much bigger, it's so much grander than any of that. Maybe it's important to say meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. If anything, the biblical vision of meekness is actually one of strength, great strength. It's the, it's the ability to have power that is harnessed and used for good. Meekness isn't weakness. What is seen in this scripture is that meekness actually requires great strength. And one of the main reasons I say that is because in the Bible, there's only two people who've been identified as meek. Does anyone know who they are? Any guesses? What'd you say? Jesus and Moses, come on. A round of applause for Thomas, please. <laughs> Bible college student, let's go. But, but for Moses, you can look at uh, Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. It says, now the man Moses was very humble. That's the same word that's been translated as meek. More than any other man who's on the face of the earth. And then speaking of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. It's actually my favorite passage of scripture in the entire Bible. Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. That's the same Greek word as as meek. He says, I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So both both Moses and Jesus, two of the strongest characters in the biblical narrative, they're described as, as meek. And then Paul the Apostle goes on to talk about meekness more than any other biblical author in the entire Bible. He he says he talks about meekness nine different times, whether he's describing an attribute that he's striving to live out, or he's calling the church to live into this this meekness. So then what does it mean? What does it look like to be a person who is meek? Well, the original word that's used here in Matthew 5, 5, it, it comes from the Greek word praos, And it's a really tough word to define because in the English word, there's there's no English word that actually fully encapsulates it or, or has the same range of meaning. Aristotle, he taught that this word was the line between anger and indifference. It wasn't fiery rage and it wasn't passivity. It was like right in the middle. And then vamping off that same kind of idea from Aristotle, William Barclay, he wrote this. He said, blessed is the one who's always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. I like that. This, this Greek word "praos," it's, it's an action word, and, and especially in the first few centuries, it was most often described, it was used to describe an animal who had intense amounts of power, but it had learned to be humble, it had learned to be meek, and, and it had learned to use its strength and to be restraint and control, whether it was a lion or a tiger that had been trained to be a pet. Or, or a horse, or whatever it was. This word was used to describe an animal that had intense amounts of strength and power, but had learned to be gentle. That's preos. The, the other night, Kinsley, um, before bed, she, I think she just wanted to stay up a little bit longer, but she wanted to watch videos of horses. And uh, so I YouTube kids' video with horse. And, uh, and this video popped up in, in the feed that we clicked on, and it was this video that a mom had made of her little kid, um, Carter. And uh, Carter was only three or four years old, but he had built this real bond with his horse called Maple. And they found this out because when he was just a little kid, he might have even been younger than two when they first started to build this bond. He would yell out to Maple, who may have been half a kilometer away. He would yell May May! May, may! And she would come running. She wouldn't listen to anyone else except little Carter. And so the horse would would run up. And at first, I think the parents were a little concerned about what that interaction was going to be like. Uh, But every time she came close to him, she would be so gentle and she would just give her face to him so he could pet her. And, uh, and over, the, she kind of documented the next few years as Carter and Maymay built this relationship and, and, and he, he learned to brush her as a two or three-year-old kid. And, and then he would even walk her. He would hold the string and she would walk like right behind him, but she would never trample him. If he stumbled and fell, she would stop and wait. Maymay would be described as, as preos. And Jesus is saying blessed or in sync with the rule and reign of God are the meek, are the strong, the powerful, but those who know how to humble themselves, restrain their power, and use it for good. Something I learned in my study this, uh, this week, and it was actually one of my mentors and, and teachers, Daryl Johnson, who helped me to see this, that, that there's this deep connection between the third beatitude, blessed are the meek, and this piece of Old Testament poetry that's found in Psalm 37. So, so let's look there really quick together. Psalm 37, verse 11. Here's how it reads. But the humble, or you could say the meek or the gentle, will inherit the earth. Huh, sound familiar? It's almost the identical language that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter five, verse five. The whole of that psalm is linked together by this one phrase, shall inherit the land, shall inherit the earth. It comes up five times throughout that psalm. It says, the the meek shall inherit the earth, the the meek shall inherit the land. It keeps repeating it over and over again. Verse 9, verse 11, 22, 29, 34. And so it's kind of neat. A lot of Bible scholars believe that the whole point of that psalm, what the the psalmist is doing is he's laying out this vision for what it looks like to be meek and then Jesus, thousands of years later as he preaches the Sermon on the Mount is actually recalling that psalm, he's pointing to that psalm and he's saying, blessed are the meek, he's pointing back to some literature that they probably would have known And so I want to go to Psalm 37 for just a few moments, and uh, with hopes to build a bit of a profile for what it looks like to live into this kind of biblical meekness. The first point that I want to draw from there is this, and it comes up in verse 3 and then again in verse 5 that a meek person trusts in the Lord. The psalmist says that trust in God is the absolute starting place for the meek, that true meekness comes from knowing who God is, knowing that He's good and that He's in control of all things. Because when you trust in God, when you know that he is ultimately in control, that he's the one that put breath in my lungs, that he's the one who's just and that he's strong and that he's powerful and that the, the, the entire universe is within his sovereign will, that, that he loves us and that he's for us, it frees us up from, from the need to be in control, from the need to, to hold things, to be in power. Trusting God is the starting place that empowers us to be meek. Verse five says, the meek commit their way to the Lord and trust also in him. This word commit that comes up there where it says, the the meek commit their ways to the Lord. It's this active word play. It literally means to roll. That the meek roll themselves onto the Lord, all their problems, all their ambitions, all their dreams, even their reputation, that the meek, they roll it all onto the Lord. It's this super active trust in the sovereignty of God. Letting go of the things that are outside of our control and, and simply allowing God to be God. So we see that they they trust in the Lord. The Psalm also says that a meek person doesn't fret in the face of evil. This is so tied to trust. But, but, but the one who is meek has this appropriate confidence in God, and what it does is it actually calms their fears. They become this non-anxious presence in the midst of adversity. And maybe it's important to say that the the, the meek are not oblivious to what's going on in the world around them. They're not just numb to all the bad and the evil and the pain around them, the things that are going on, but they don't compare. All those things don't compare to God who's in control of the entire universe and who knows the end from the beginning. Once you have this appropriate vision of God and, and who he is, the idea of fretting the idea of, of being scared about what, what, could, what could come against us, it's like being scared of a little man who comes to it to your door who's maybe like 75 pounds, but right behind you is a massive bodybuilder. Maybe like Terry Crews is standing behind you or, or a WWE wrestler or, or an MMA fighter. And so this person comes to your door, they're, they're, they're threatening you, that sort of thing. But why would you be scared? You have this massive bodyguard beside you. The meek have this confidence in God as their protector. And because of that, their fears, their worries, all of it, they can roll onto him. Their fears begin to slowly dim and fade away. There's a guy named Hudson Taylor that I think is is a great example of this, of trust in the face of evil. If you don't know who that is, Hudson Taylor was a a missionary to China in the 1800s. He made this huge impact on China just just through his life and his ministry and what he did. So many people came to faith in Jesus. But I heard this story of one day where uh, there was a civil war that was going on in China as he was doing ministry there. And essentially, the place that Hudson Taylor was in, kind of their headquarters, the missionary compound, it was surrounded by enemy soldiers all around them. There was no way for anyone to get in or anyone to get out. And so one of the guys who worked alongside Hudson Taylor burst into his office in that moment and said, Hudson, we need to do something. Come on out. We got we to go. We got to figure something out here. And, and I guess what happened in that moment is he burst into the room as he found Hudson Taylor just sitting at his desk singing hymns to the Lord hands open in front, of him on the, uh, in front of him on his desk, just singing hymns to the Lord. And so, so, so this, this worker, this other missionary came in and, and even louder than before said, Hudson, we gotta go. We gotta figure out something. And Hudson said, what else do you want me to do? We're surrounded. I can't stop them. We both know there's nothing left to do. I can't escape. And if I'm going to die, I'd rather die singing hymns to the Lord if Jesus wants to spare me, he absolutely can. He can do a miracle, but no one else can. It's beautiful, this, this reliance on the Lord. And Jesus did save them. He did spare them. He did the miraculous. It makes me think of this beautiful worship song by a band called Upper Room that I, uh, that I really love. And, and the, the bridge lyrics, why is the bridge always the best part of a song? But there's this lyric in the bridge that I just love. It says, um, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. In other words, what it's saying is like in, in, the, in the physical, in the immediate, as I look around at my situation, it actually looks really bleak. It looks hopeless, but what's even truer than what I see with my eyes right now is that my current circumstance, that, that I'm surrounded by you, God, that you are this, this, this army, this, 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 this care around me, that you are my protector. The meek person doesn't fret in the face of evil because their confidence is in the Lord. The meek also, they do good in the face of evil. They don't respond to the evil world by inflicting more evil. They don't respond to injustice by practicing other forms of injustice. This is an aspect of meekness that just keeps coming up over and over again all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus continues to recall these ideas. He says in, in verse 38 of Matthew chapter five, you've heard it said an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist the evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn around on the other as well. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. He goes on to say that we're to love our enemies, that we're to, to, to pray for those who curse us. It's this upside down kingdom that Jesus is introducing and setting in motion where, where, where the meek, they don't repay evil for evil, but they're able to do good in the midst of evil. And not because they're, they're okay with injustice. Not because in any way they're okay with evil winning, but because they know that God is the judge and the justifier. Because he, he, he promises ultimate justice for the oppressed. The meek person is free to do good in the face of evil. Stuart Briscoe, who's a, a British theologian, he said it like this. The meek roll their lives, their careers, their reputation on the Lord and let the Lord worry about it all. The meek are those who, 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 when offended, commit their wounded egos to the one. Uh, sorry, the, <laughs> let me read that again. The meek are those who, when offended, commit their wounded egos and the one offending their egos to the perfect judge. The meek can say to themselves, what, what they did to me is wrong, but they're answerable to God, so I'll let God deal with them. But I'm answerable to God too. So I'm gonna concentrate on doing the right thing by them. And the right thing in that moment might be to forgive, forgive, or it might be to confront, or maybe it's a combination of the two, but either way, they roll it all onto the Lord. Can we, can we just acknowledge that it takes so much strength, so much courage to be meek, to be gentle when, when everything inside of you wants to react and wants to lash out, when you're treated unjustly at work, or when your friend, someone who's close to you, betrays you, when someone gossips about you, speaks poorly about you behind your back, or when someone cheats you in a business deal, or, or when a family member writes you out of the family will, or whatever it might be. It takes so much courage in that moment to be meek, to be gentle, to roll those things onto the Lord and to trust him in the midst of such difficult circumstances. And all the big stuff, things we'll walk through in life, all of us will. But I also find it really hard to be meek in like just the everyday ordinary stuff of life. Like when, when, when I'm trying to get my kids ready for the day and just out the door in the morning and Harper's taken off her shoes three times since breakfast and Kinsley's throwing like this massive temper tantrum because she wanted soft yolks in her eggs and I overcooked them. <laughs> And then it seems like Jorley's just taking so long to get, get, get ready for the day. And it's so easy in those moments for me to be harsh with my words or to use tones with my family, with my kids that are unkind. And it sounds so silly even to say this out loud because in the grand scheme of things, it feels foolish to, that I'd be irritable over such silly and petty things. But meekness is this posture of gentleness in the everyday ordinary stuff of life. Rather than being angry or lashing out even in a moment of stress, Showing love and kindness. James stresses this point when he says this. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. The anger of man doesn't produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting away all filthiness and overflowing of wickedness, receive with humility with weak, or with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. To be meek is, is to show mercy to practice humility when you have every right to be angry, you have every right to say it, to give them an earful, to tell them how it really is, and you're quiet, or you believe the best. Okay, with all that in mind from Psalm 37, I wanna go back and look at two figures in scripture who are called meek, I referenced them earlier, Thomas referenced them earlier for us, Moses and Jesus. I said before in Numbers chapter 12 that Moses was called very humble, very meek, more than any other man that was on the face of the earth. But I want to look for a moment at the exact context. What was going on in or around Moses' life when he was referred to as meek? Here's what was happening. Miriam and Aaron, who were Moses' brother and sister, they, they were challenging his position of authority within the community. They, they were doing it publicly. Moses was the leader of the group, and, and Aaron and and Miriam. they're saying, I don't think Moses should be the leader for such and such a reason, this such and reason. They also didn't like Moses' wife, and so they started to say that. They started to criticize her. They started to gossip about her behind the scenes. They were jealous that Moses was the mouthpiece of God and that he was chosen to speak God's word to God's people, and so again, they started to share that publicly with the group and rally support for their perspective among the people of Israel, bringing division and just insult after insult in the public square. They were dragging his name through the mud. I don't know if you've ever been there before. A moment like that where you were where on the receiving end of what Moses was. I have. And it is so painful. But how does Moses respond in the moment? How does he respond to the public insults that probably felt so betraying by his brother and sister? Well, he refused to lash back at Miriam and Aaron. He refused to get all worked up about it. He didn't demand an apology from them. He rolled it all on God. He knew that God, God had called him to this place of leadership. This was the assignment that the Lord had given him and so he stood strong in that, but he didn't feel like he needed to retaliate. He knew that God was just, that at some point along the way, God would vindicate the truth. The truth would come out. And so rather than defending himself, he trusted God with his reputation. He trusted God, that God would protect him, even from the words of the people that he loved. He didn't lash out, he didn't get worked up, he didn't repay evil for evil. He didn't start spreading a narrative about Miriam and Aaron just to kinda get even. He rolled it all on God and chose to do good in the face of evil. Is that spineless? I don't think so, I think it's so incredibly courageous. Seems that meekness is is most visible, most identifiable in in the face of hurt, in the face of pain. When you're treated unjustly, when you're betrayed, when when words are being said about you and, and, and your motives are being questioned and it's so far from what's true and you don't retaliate, that's meekness. Rather than repaying evil for evil, you're quiet and you don't tear down the people who hurt you. Wherever possible, you try to speak well of them. That's meekness. And we see this characteristic from all the characteristics from Psalm 37 in the life of Jesus, especially in the days that led up to his crucifixion. We, we spent a whole series unpacking these moments as a church through the Lent season. But I just want to recall some of those moments for a moment that, that the local police, they spat on Jesus. They blindfolded him and they beat him with this intense violence the foreign military, the, 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 person, the military personnel, they shouted insults at Jesus. They thrust a crown of thorns on his head. They put a royal purple robe on him and, and, and they mocked him, but he res- refused to respond and retaliate. In a single moment, he could have called down fire and just crushed those people, but he didn't. He didn't echo their actions or their spirit. As Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, who was actually right there, witnessed the whole thing he said this about Jesus. While being reviled, Jesus did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. Instead, he kept entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus is our definition of meekness. Do you know there's only one place in scripture where Jesus where he tells us of his own heart, where he tells us of what makes him tick, who he is. There's this author and pastor, uh, Dana Ortland, who's written extensively on this topic. There's only one place in the Bible where Jesus lets us in on who he is beneath the layers. It's Matthew chapter 11. He says that he is gentle and lowly, or you could say meek and lowly. Ortland writes this, meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy. He's not harsh, not reactionary, easily exasperated. He's the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. The point in saying that Jesus is lowly is that he's accessible. For all his glory and dazzling holiness, he is supreme, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? A beautiful quote. So then when we're meek, we look like Jesus. In Philippians chapter two, Paul the, the apostle, he calls us to live into this example of meekness from Jesus. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. That's that word praos or meek. He humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. So while Jesus had all the the authority, all the power, he's fully God, he chose to humble himself. He showed meekness. He took the the role of a servant. He didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He harnessed all of his power. All all, all of it he, he harnessed and he used it for good. He used it to save us. In our day and age, I think the most countercultural Christian practice is actually meekness. It is so rare to find a Christian or a person in, in general, a person who is meek. But I think a person who's meek stands out in stark contrast to our society that we're living in, especially in the day and age where, where there's so many people who are just yelling over each other, yelling at each other, maybe even online and in and these various um, ways. And, 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 and a meek person who doesn't engage, who doesn't feel like it's necessary that they share all of their opinions, or that they tear down someone who has a slightly different uh, view, worldview than them, or a very different worldview? But they don't—they're not known, but for what they're against. But they're known for what they're for. That kind of person makes the world ask questions. Let me say it again: When we're meek, we look—we look like Jesus. Maybe at this point, it's important to say that that just like the other Beatitudes, this is not a list of qualities that you should try really, really, really hard to, to live out. What I don't want you to hear from today's message is that you should go and try really hard this week to be meek. You can't will yourself into meekness. It's actually not even a natural human quality. Meekness is a work of the spirit in our lives. It's a fruit of the spirit. Listen, following Jesus is not opposed to effort. It actually takes a lot of effort to follow Jesus. But it's like 95-5. It's like 95% of work of the spirit and 5% our work. And really, our work in the whole deal is just making our hearts soft before the Lord. Allowing him to speak and bring conviction and change us and mold us and shape us. As the kingdom of God gets a hold of us and captures our imaginations, as we, as we learn to trust him and fully with our life, surrender everything to him, as we spend time with Jesus, we begin to, over time, we start to look like him. We begin to look meek. We become people who don't have to have the final word. People who don't retaliate. People who have this unwavering trust in God, who do good in the face of evil. In this beatitude, Jesus is saying when, when his gospel, when the reign of God gets a hold of us, something happens. We start to become meek. We become gentle. Okay, as we close, I, I, I want to look at the promise for those who are meek. Matthew 5.5 5 says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. So the promise for, for those who are meek is that they'll inherit the earth. But, but my question is When? When will, when will the meek inherit the earth? Because quite frankly, it does not feel like the meek are inheriting the earth. It feels like the greedy are inheriting the earth. Like the ones who push their way to the top. And, and it feels like they're inheriting the earth. But, but when will this promise be fulfilled? When will the meek inherit the earth? Well, in short, in full, at the end of the age, when the earth is fully restored and renewed and redeemed, when Jesus comes again, the meek will inherit the earth. But also, the meek will inherit the earth long before that. The meek will inherit the earth, even in the here and now. Because who are the people who really enjoy the earth? Who really enjoy life? The ones who stomp on others and claw their waist to the top? The ones who are seeking more and more power and stuff and competing with the people around them? no. No. They're too busy kind of grabbing and preserving their kingdom to enjoy the earth. They're, they're, playing king of the hill is a really exhausting way to live. Those who delight in the Lord and trust fully in him, roll all their cares upon the Lord, they enjoy life and they actually have a chance to smell the roses, so to speak, to actually appreciate a sunset, to actually take a moment and, and, and enjoy a cup of coffee with a friend, to have deeply formed friendships. Friendships. The meek will inherit the earth right now in part and one day in full. Okay, we're gonna go into a time of, of response, a time of worship. Is that right, Cam? Team, come up right now if that works. And uh, as we do, I wanna ask that we would stand all across this place. Is that okay? If you're, if you're willing and able, would you stand to your feet for just a moment? I um, I don't know about you, but I really long to be a person that, we, a, a meek person like we've been reading about, like we've been talking about. I long to, to embody this kind of gentleness and selflessness that we've been talking about, that we see in the life of Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you say, you know, I do too, I, I want to be meek. I haven't been always slow to anger or long suffering. I've been, I've been harsh and condescending. This is where we fall on the mercy of God. And we say, hey, God, we're not who we want to be. We're not who we were, but we're not who we want to be. And we say, God, would you continue the work that you've started in me? And so if you're, if you're comfortable with it, um, I wanna encourage you, if you want that, if you want to be meek, if you wanna live into this beatitude of meekness, would you just, in, in a posture of receiving from the Holy Spirit, would you just put your hands out in front of you like this, just an open posture? And let me pray for you and pray for us. Holy Spirit, we want to follow you in the way that we live. We want to be people who are meek. We want to be people who are gentle, who when the world comes up against us, we don't retaliate, we don't fight back, we don't have to have the final word, but that we fully trust in you, our God and our King, and the one who is truly just. And so I pray for each of my friends who are in this room, for each of us at CA Church, Rail City Campus, God, would you continue the work that you started in us? And in moments where we have a decision to make, are we gonna lash out? Or are we gonna take a moment? Are we gonna be quiet? Are we gonna be meek and gentle? I pray in those moments that you would meet us there. trust you, Jesus, that you continue, that you fulfill the work you started. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash railcity to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.